From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. The share of the U.S. population that identifies as Christian has declined over the past decade, but the United States is still home to more Christians than any other country in the world. Around 7 in 10 Americans identify themselves as Christian, according to the Pew Research Center. So the question is, why are the schools that train Christian clergy having trouble? Mainline Protestant theological schools have seen their enrollments drop in recent years, and some are seeking to merge or to sell off buildings to stay afloat. In the meantime, smaller seminaries representing newer faith traditions have grown in numbers. Rick Seltzer is a reporter at the trade publication Inside Higher Ed. He recently wrote an article about trends in American theological schools, and he joins me on the podcast to talk about it. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So in education policy circles, we don't often hear about what's going on in theological schools. How has the enrollment at these schools been affected by uh, recent trends in American church going? Well, I think that there are two stories here, as you mentioned. The, the one that is really first and foremost to talk about is that your traditional mainline white English-speaking Protestant denominations are shrinking. That is translating to the seminaries and theological schools. They're, they're feeling a pinch in that churches that used to be able to support them, used to be able to send money their way, uh, can no longer send as much money, and also that sometimes their, their enrollment is dropping, and therefore they're not having as many students on campus, having as many students paying them. In the other corner, you see a lot of, of new blood, if you will, new churches bubbling up, a lot of times serving immigrant, minority, non-English-speaking communities. So you have this dichotomy that's going on right now. How many schools are there that are freestanding theological schools as opposed to those that are connected to another university, like the University of Chicago, for example? What's going on is that, that yes, the number of freestanding schools has, has declined. There's a split in that, though. The decline is, is being felt most sharply uh, among the schools that are kind of in the mid-range, what you'd say, 151 to 1,000 enrollees. Your larger schools are not feeling kind of that same blow to their market share, if you will. Can you give me a specific, for instance, of a, of a school that is used to be doing okay and is struggling now and is looking at alternatives? The headline case right now is a theological school outside of Boston. It's Andover Newton Theological School, and it dates back to 1807. It can claim to be the oldest theological graduate institution in this country. It's lost enrollment from 450 students in 2005 down to about 225 today. Wow. What denomination is this? They actually are ecumenical, so there are a couple of different affiliations that they go with. They are tied to the Baptist Church and the United Church of Christ most closely. So, you know, a very old institution has been around for many years and, and has been feeling this pressure, just like everyone else recently. And then just this spring, they announced plans they're going to affiliate with and then ultimately move and become a part of Yale Divinity School. So they basically said, we need to make a change because we're on an unsustainable path. We need a, a partner. We need some kind of additional help. What does Yale get out of this uh, deal? Well, for Yale, there, there are a couple of things. Andover Newton is a, an ecumenical school, and, and Yale's really hoping that they can kind of bring in a different range of students who are studying different faiths within these Protestant traditions. There's also the prestige, maybe is the right word, uh, is that, that you do have an established institution. Um, Andover Newton's not going to go away as a name under the current thinking. You know, uh, Yale, about 40 years ago now, in the 70s, had added a, another theological institution under its divinity school, Berkeley, at, at the time. 
and they have a track record of, of doing this, although it's not as if they're, they're out there scooping up schools all over the place. But, but you kind of get the, the built-in name, the built-in reputation, and, and then also the additional scope from bringing in this new-to-Yale institution. For Andover Newton, of course, it's obvious they have, <laughs> they have deeper pockets that they can draw from when, when they were feeling financial pressures and, and pressures for their future. The other thing I should mention in, in Andover Newton's case, and in many cases, is you talk to, to schools all over the place, the decision to make a change like this is, is not an easy one. Change is hard for, for any higher ed institution. And when you layer in this, this religious mission that, that most of these schools feel, it, it's very, very hard for administrators to find someone to partner with that they feel fits their mission. And so in the case of Andover Newton and, and Yale, they, they felt they had something that will be able to work. Now, there are still milestones to go before it ultimately works, but they're really hopeful about it. It didn't happen overnight, though. Andover Newton tried. It was in talks with, with other institutions. They looked at other models. And a lot of schools try different things before they, they ultimately uh, decide to, to partner with someone, if they ultimately decide to partner with one. Tell us about a school that has been thriving, one of the you know sort of alternative cases. Sure. I think the, the, the most interesting alternative cases are kind of your new startups. There, there are a couple that, that I looked up that are, are recent on the radar for the uh, Association of Theological Schools. One is uh, it's called America Evangelical University. Um, it's out in Los Angeles. It's just about 46 students affiliated with the Korean Evangelical Holiness Church. There's another one out in that area, the China Evangelical Seminary. It's about 56 students. And then, then experts are also telling me that you'll see some boosts to Roman Catholicism as immigrant communities, presumably uh, your Spanish-speaking communities, are coming in. I, I, you know, I don't know that, that thriving is necessarily the right word. These are closer to startups than they are to big major institutions. But those major institutions as well are, are able probably to realize some benefits of scale. In the case of Yale and Andover Newton, if you have a large school and, and you bring in Andover Newton, you don't have to have as many administrators on the back end. You can spread some of those costs out just from the business side. It, it makes it easier to get your budget together when, when you grow larger. How have students at these schools changed uh, over the years? Who's going to these divinity schools or to these uh, religious theological schools? This is a really interesting point that a couple of schools uh, brought up to me. And you're seeing the student on campus is much less frequently younger, I guess, is, is one of the ways that, that they're feeling it. A lot of older students are coming in, and then a lot of alternative students are coming in, too. It's not all about age, but, but a lot of times they're working. Uh, they need part-time classes or evening classes. They need easy access. A lot of times they have children, where, where before they may not have. Uh, you know, I talked to uh, a seminary in Gettysburg, a Lutheran seminary in Gettysburg. They said that where they're feeling the hollowing out is the, the folks in their 30s and 40s. They actually have the younger end of the spectrum. They're a little different than, than kind of the, that other theory that, that I talked about. But they had younger end of folks coming right out of undergraduate and then older folks, but they don't have the 30s and 40-year-olds. So really what's happening is, is you're seeing a lot of people looking at going to theological school at a different time in their lives. And, and because of that, that's causing the schools to have to, to think differently as well. A school up in Rochester, New York, is, is actually a really good example of having different needs that they feel. It's uh, Colgate-Rochester-Crozier Divinity School. They've, for years, been leasing out a part of their campus, essentially, and that helps them on the financial end. But what they found was that their facilities weren't right for the students they were drawing anymore. They needed something that was maybe a little more accessible uh, for your, your 
student who is a little older or has a family. You know, they're not just being cloistered in dormitories for 22-year-old and 23-year-old unmarried men. So that's driving them to be able to look at some different models for the future as well. And when schools merge or change, how do they stay true to their very specific purpose? How, how do they navigate that change? Colgate Rochester Crozier is kind of an, an interesting case in how they have navigated that. When they were doing that leasing, they, they tried to look for tenants who fit their missions. They brought in the American Cancer Society. They, they brought in Ithaca College, who was running some programs out of their uh, facilities, uh, a veterans outreach center. But more or less, it, it's something that I think administrators and faculty and students and, and the churches ultimately probably have to have conversations about. There are stories of trouble when this happens. A New York City uh, seminary, Union Theological Seminary, grabbed some headlines last year. It was, it was going to sell air rights that would allow a luxury condominium to be built. There was an argument against that, that developing these luxury condos for the rich was not in holding with, with that seminary's allegiance to, to the poor. It is a difficult thing when you're trying to change the way you carry out your mission to figure out what the best way to survive is and how you can keep with your your traditional values. Every person I talked to brought this up and brought it up as a challenge and brought it up as something that we just have to navigate and, and try to hold true as best we can. Rick Seltzer is a reporter with Inside Higher Ed based in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can find a link to Rick Seltzer's article at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org, where you can listen to our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd love to hear what you think about American Radio Works. You can leave us a review on iTunes or let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org, where you can click on the About page and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can tweet us at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.